you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Hello and good evening, Kaleo. Um, thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, thrilled to be here. Um, and if you don't know me yet, um, as Chris said, my name is Emma Sonart. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I've been a part of this wonderful community of Kaleo for a wonderful three years now. Um, and I would love to meet you afterwards if I haven't met you already. Um, and I'm pumped for tonight. Um, as Chris mentioned, I just got back from a Christian community development conference with a couple of our friends from Kaleo um, and also from Neighborhood Ministries. And the passage we're going to explore tonight is one of those that can be both igniting and humbling for the work that we are going to um, engage in when we commit to a life of social justice. So I'm excited to dig into it. Um, I want to first take a moment to honor the Native people that existed here before us with a land acknowledgement. But before I do that, I want to acknowledge something that I learned from one of the speakers at the conference this weekend named Mark Charles. Uh, we have a long, long way to go when it comes to our relationships with the indigenous peoples of the land that we stand on. Um, so let, us, let that be a challenge for us as we engage in the work of justice. I honor the first peoples of current day downtown Phoenix, the Thana Otham Nation. In the words of Lisa, Sharon Harper, that Erin also shares to start her sermons, they were and are here. We see you, we honor you, and we thank you for laying foundations of harmony, balance, truth, and honor. Thank you for stewarding the land where creator settled your people. We bless you, we bless your elders, past, present, and emerging. Again, so excited to be here. Um, I'm always honored when Chris and Aaron um, ask me to share with you. So shout out to them and their hearts for empowering women to preach. Um, if you've heard me preach here before, you might be familiar with a practice that I love um, that I call imaginative scripture storytelling, where I invite us into the lectionary passage as if we were actually participating and watching it all unfold. And I invite you to join me on a mini version of that practice tonight, uh, where we'll, we will hone in on Jesus telling the religious leaders another one of his parables, this time from Matthew 21, 33 through 46, um, as we pick up where Chris left off last week. Um, I can, I'm considering this a mini version only because I thought it could be fun to hear and imagine Jesus as the storyteller, as this passage is almost all recorded as dialogue. But before we dive in, um, I want to make space to acknowledge that the Bible is a complex tool that has been used throughout history and even in our own lives in this room to inflict harm, oppression, and manipulation onto people as an abuse of power. Um, that is a reality that we face and we lament. I do believe that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit can use those same words that once wounded us to do something new, to create an art, to restore, and to heal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, thank you so much for being with us in this room. Thank you for um, every single person in this room, online, listening to this later. Um, thank you um, that we um, can be a community together and that we can gather and learn together. Um, I just pray that 
you would continue to meet us here um, and that we can uh, be attentive to the way that the Spirit is stirring within each of us. Um, we love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. So as we go into my imaginative scripture storytelling, um, I encourage you to get into a comfortable position to close your eyes or let your gaze wander and to take a few deep breaths. Imagine entering the temple courts. To your right and to your left are people gathered around the center in which Jesus is teaching. In the background, you can hear the grumbling of the religious leaders. Their faces are wrinkled with frustration. Jesus starts to tell the group a story. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus then turns to the religious leaders and poses a question to them. He asks, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The leaders reply, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus replies, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Watching the faces of the religious leaders, they burn with anger and realization that Jesus speaks directly about them. They turn to one another, plotting to arrest Jesus, but with whispers of fear. For the rest of the crowd, 
talks of Jesus as a prophet. Take a few extra moments for whatever may be stirring within you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you again for being a God who is with us here and now. And thank you for the ways that your spirit stirs within us. Um, I thank you again for every single person in this room and in our community. And I thank you that you bring us together to learn from each other, um, from our stories and from the stories that have been spoken and written and handed down through generations. Um, I pray that anything that I say <laughs> will fall to the floor um, and that it would be you and your, your words, your promptings, um, that is what sticks with the people today. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I love to do that practice before digging into a sermon because I want to empower you in whatever the spirit is stirring within you before giving my own thoughts. My thoughts, opinions, and convictions are only one out of all of us and are not the end-all be-all. So I like to give space for you and your own thoughts before sharing my own. As the wonderful Caitlin B. Curtis says, we are always arriving, never arrived. I learn with you in this space. So thank you for allowing me to also share with you. So here we have the continuation of the story we heard last week of Jesus and the chief priests and the religious leaders. I'm going to take a bit of time to backtrack and give us some context, context that has helped me better understand who these chief priests and leaders are and how Jesus has been interacting with them during his ministry leading up to this point. There were several different groups of Judaism during the time of Jesus. One of these groups you're probably familiar with and are named here in Matthew 21 as the Pharisees. These were people committed to a way of Judaism that lived out the Torah and the Old Testament within their communities, mostly in the northern regions. Um, Jesus, at this point in the story, has spent years with these people, challenging them on their ideas and how they've been living out the way of the law while leaving the people of God behind. They have lost the way of love, and Jesus compassionately spends time trying to show them what true love, justice, mercy, and righteousness looks like. What is the law without love anyways? There is another group, however, that isn't often talked about. I first learned about them, in fact, from a podcast, where for a brief section in this podcast, they discuss what's called the silent years, or 
the 400 or so years um, of time between the prophets and the birth of Jesus, where a revolt happened and caused different responses to the way of Judaism that formed these different groups of people. That's a sermon for another time, um, as we're only going to talk about two of those groups today. The second group is called the Sadducees, often referred to as the chief priests or the high priests. This was an aristocratic group of Jews that consisted of wealthy, upper-class men of political, social, and religious influence that played bold political moves with Herod the Great uh, to come to great religious power during the time of the Roman Empire. The level of corruption within the Sadducees was shown in the way they handled tithes by keeping most of it for themselves. They owned a system of money changers and merchants who sold on the Temple Mount. They handled their political influence with their, the Roman Empire and committed violence against anyone who posed a threat to their power. Jesus moves toward this final week in Jerusalem and encounters the Sadducees who come at him with fierce defenses. He comes to Jerusalem ready to call out the Sadducees in their corruption and their work against what God is trying to do in the world. And I believe he knows it will get him killed to do so. Matthew 21 is a rich chapter of Matthew's account that shows us how Jesus begins his confrontation with the Sadducees and a select few of the Pharisees that have chosen against all odds to work with the Sadducees to try to eliminate Jesus. These two groups normally did not get along. The chapter starts with the story of Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, proclaiming a revolution of God. But as the people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, they may be surprised to find out this revolution is not a violent revolt against the Roman Empire, but something much deeper. Matthew moves us to one of my favorite passages, and maybe some of yours too, about Jesus. The flipping tables of injustice, Jesus. Um, the Sadducees had set up a system of merchants and money changers on the temple courts that would be in, ter in turn funding their corruption. The temple courts were where the Gentiles and others who couldn't enter the temple courts were allowed to come and worship God. But the Sadducees had exploited their people by emptying their pockets instead and leaving these people with no place to worship. Then we see Jesus curse a fig tree, calling out the barrenness and unfruitfulness of the religious leaders as they reject the kingdom of God. We then get to the part of Matthew 21 that Chris preached on last week where these leaders challenge Jesus' authority and Jesus tells them a parable to illustrate just how much they are missing what God is doing right in front of them. And now we get to this parable that Jesus tells about God and his people. A vineyard, um, as we heard from the poem earlier, um, was a common picture of the people of God taken from Isaiah. Jesus talks about a season of harvest, the fruit born from the people of God. There are some that are committed to the way of God. 
the inclusive Jesus way of loving people and caring for those with their backs against the wall, as Howard Thurman often says in Jesus and the Disinherited. The, people, the problem here, Jesus suggests, is something else. It's the tenants, the stewards that God entrusted to his vineyard. We may hear Jesus' words and know that he is talking about the religious leaders themselves as the tenants. He kind of gives us that in the parable um, later. They indeed are the problem, Jesus is pointing out. But then why do they respond with such harshness towards themselves when Jesus asks them what the owner will do to the tenants? Again, they say, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Since we have the insider info that he's actually referencing them, that is a little bit of a wild response. But they respond in this way because I think they hear this parable differently. They think Jesus is referring to the Romans as the wretched tenants or the Roman Empire. If we think about this passage again with that context in mind, we can see why they have such a pointed response. Even the corrupt religious leaders that are fraternizing with the enemy understand empire. But as Jesus will go on to say, we know the tenants um, are actually the Sadducees and select Pharisees. They are the tenants who are killing the Lord's servants and who will eventually turn to kill Jesus. They're actively working against what God is trying to do within his people by participating in violent oppression and corruption. Oscar Romero, um, the late Roman Catholic Archbishop in El Salvador that we have studied here at Kaleo before, says the following in his homily from 1978 on the same passage. It was actually the same day, October 8th. Um, He says this, The vineyard of the parable actually produced fruit, but but conflict soon ensued because the workers didn't want to give the owner the fruit of his vineyard and even killed his messengers. The messengers represent the prophets and others sent by God who protested the injustices of society. This is the crisis that the gospel has had to endure throughout history. God plants a vineyard from which he expects to harvest fruits, But the only fruits he gathers are crimes, murders, and things he did not sow. Moreover, the unjust workers beat and killed his prophets and others he sends to them. So then Jesus quotes their precious, sacred, memorized scriptures back to them, saying, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus says, have you never heard this? Have you never read or sang the Psalms? The kingdom of God will be taken away from you. You fruitless fig tree people. You wretched tenants. This vineyard, this people, this kingdom will be taken away from you and given to the people who will steward it well who will persevere during the off-season until the season of harvest, and who will see the fruit of this work. You will be crushed by the work of the Spirit. 
So Jesus goes all the way in with these people. Um, He holds nothing back in calling them out, in flipping their tables, and in teaching with authority on their home base. And I want to be clear on one thing. The Jews did not kill Jesus. There is far too much anti-Semitism in our Christian spaces already, and this is important to note. It was this select corrupt group of Sadducees and a few Pharisees that worked with Rome to get Jesus killed. And we will see the inner workings of their politics here as they had to find a way to get around the crowd of people who adored Jesus and saw him as a prophet. They had to be very tactful in executing Jesus because they didn't want to create a martyr or start a revolt. But this act was not the Jews collectively, nor was it all the Pharisees. This was a small but mighty group that used their influence for oppression. And it should not be because of this group that we or any of our theology or thoughts be anti-Jew. It is because of our Jewish brothers and sisters that we are here. They, along with our faith pra- other faith practices, have endured centuries of violence at the hands of Christians, and we must rewrite the narrative. Oscar Romero says again, it is exactly what we have preached in a thousand different ways. We want peace, but not the peace of violence and of cemeteries, not the peace imposed or extorted. We want peace that is the fruit of justice, peace that is the fruit of obedience to God, For God was expecting righteousness and justice that his vineyard should have produced, but instead only murders. This passage gets me really pumped up because it's this Jesus that ignites our work in standing against the corrupt systems of white supremacy, patriarchy, ableism, capitalism, colonialism, and others that are alive and well within the church and its leadership. As I mentioned previously, the Bible itself has been wielded against the image bearers of God as an abuse of power to execute Jews, create the doctrine of discovery, justify slavery, and more. As we struggle against these systems and realities, we know we have a God who stands with us and a God who was crucified on a cross as an act of solidarity with those who have had violence committed against them. There is a challenge here for us as well. Confronting this corruption gets Jesus crucified. Will we have the courage to stand with Jesus and say that this is not what the Spirit of God is up to in the world? Will we count the cost? will we boldly proclaim that every image bearer of God deserves to be liberated? Will we allow the spirit of God to be the flame that ignites us, that loves us, that moves us to compassion and also to flipping tables? We will call out, will we call out our leaders when they cling to power? Will we stand firmly against empire's crushing grip because we can courageously have confidence that it, in turn, will be crushed? Will we engage with the kingdom of God that is happening here and now? 
And as Oscar Romero asked his congregation on this very day back in 1978, what says this cathedral filled with the faithful? Are you a vineyard whose branches are heavy with hope? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you again for this space. Thank you for allowing me to share uh, with my community today. Um, And thank you for the faithful, um, no matter where we find ourselves in our relationship with you. um, Just thank you for the willingness to show up, um, to commit to the work of social justice, um, the willingness to listen to each other and to be united to one another. Um, Thank you for the ways that we can break bread together um, and share peace with one another and be able to acknowledge each other as image bearers. May you continue to ignite us um, and continue to bring us forward, continue to be with us as we continue loving you, loving our neighbor, and seeking justice until it rolls like a river. We love you. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.